or I'm sucking my own dick here. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the Canadian muscle himself, the Peter. I just watched Robocop for the 36th time. Oh, good for you. We're not talking about that. That has nothing to do with tonight's topic. So we should shut be. Up. We should be talking about it. We're what's not. More, what's more interesting than that? Anything. <laughs> you know that's not true. Okay, uh, so in, in that case, let's talk about how great of a director Jordan Peele is. Do you want me to kill you? I will stab <laughs> you in the anus repeatedly. Oh, that would be fantastic. Just release me. Release me from the, the shackles that is the, the burden of everyday life. Anyways, uh, I'm sure there's there's some sort of segue to Adam and Eve there. Going to sit, tell If you want to use something to plug your butthole. You could go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME, where you would get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. But that's only if you want to go to adamandeve.com and use the promo code DROME. I was also going to tell people how Cecil won't be on this week or next week because he has family engagements, but I guess mm. that's not important. It's important to me. I don't know if it's important to Josh. Well, what we're going to talk about tonight is we are going to do a deep introspective look at Igmar Bergman's 1968 film, Whispers of the Wolf. Dissect it. No, we're not. We're actually just going to talk about early 80s werewolf movies. <laughs> you had me worried there for a second. I was sweating my ass off. I was like, what? Uh, we were supposed to do that? Oh, no. There was this weird thing. Okay, you know how horror is cyclical. Like, the 80s, you had your slasher movie cycle. Mm -hmm. You had your your screams and all that in the 90s. And in the 70s, that was sort of, you know, when Hammer was coming back, all that started in the 60s. The 70s were were a lot of vampire movies. The 70s were, were the vampire decade. And then, of course, the 80, at the tail end of the 80s, that would pick back up. The 70s were vampires. And well, yeah, early... it was sort of, uh, sort of the whole, uh, infection infected by werewolves, infected by vampires, uh, transitioning into something else sort of stuff. Like the, the 70s, especially mid to late 70s was very big on that kind of stuff. There was this weird thing. There was a spat of werewolf movies and werewolf related movies from 1980 to 1984. There was so many werewolf movies. I mean, yes, in 85, you get Teen Wolf and you get Silver Bullet, all this stuff later on. In this one relatively condensed period of time, we got like a dozen werewolf movies. And <laughs> yeah, it was pretty big. Part of that, that could... one called there, there was one that was like, like a mansion. This was like late seventies. I forget exactly what it was called, but it would play on TV a lot here. And these these people would get together to do like a murder mystery, who done it thing, who is the werewolf. It was I was in like the late seventies, I forget what it was called, but it was like to me the quintessential shitty 70s werewolf movie do you, do you know what this one is called do you even know what i'm talking about it got to a point where so where we're so like oversaturated that they made like a werewolf murder mystery a, a fucking werewolf murder mystery because we needed that don't you remember back in our howling <laughs> retrospective they did 10 little indians with werewolves <laughs> for, yeah, for, exactly. for howling five 
Oh god, yeah, send uh, send Leprechaun and Jason to space and Hellraiser. Every generation had that. We need this subgenre character into this subgenre genre and we need to intermingle it. Oh, it didn't do well. Oh, oh shit. Of course it didn't because wants to see that here with and i'm picking 80 to 84 here part of this could be just the chasing a trend you know one movie comes out it's really hot so everyone else wants to make that style of movie is usually what happens well and that is a factor here maybe i'm going to go armchair psychologist here but i i actually think there might be more to it than this now this isn't a werewolf movie but a werewolf is in it the first one would be 1980s the monster club Vincent Price and Donald Pleasance and John Carradine. Do you remember Monster Club? Uh, no, I don't, but I'm going to be watching it. Like, those are some of the the most, like, out there actors of all time. I can only imagine the clashing of voices happening there with uh, David Carradine's sort of, I don't give John a shit, Carradine. cadence. Uh, John Carradine. Oh, so it was a different, it was the older guy. Well, of course, Donald Pleasance and Vincent Price. So many of the most, like, unique voices in, in genre film history. That's, oh, God, is that weird? Yeah, I need to check that one out. With Monster Club, if you haven't seen it, I can't wait until you get to the th- theme song of Monsters Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that one, we're, <laughs> th- that one's not really, I mean, it is part of this cycle, but then you have another one that I, I'm not going to include as part of this cycle, but it is a werewolf movie because this is a foreign film that doesn't really play into what we're talking about. But Paul Nashi made another werewolf movie this year, Return of the Werewolf or Night of the Werewolf. This was what, the 10th? Time Paul Nashie's made a werewolf movie since the 60s, something like that. The first real one we're going to talk about, this whole thing really kicked off with The Howling, the Joe Dante John Sayles film. The Howling is an amazing movie. I think under a different director, this movie wouldn't have worked, even with John Sayles' script. Dante uses his small budget in such a unique way with the lighting and the camera angles and the shots he picks. The Howling, it's almost bigger than what its budget allows. I mean, you know, Avco Embassy, you know, wasn't a tiny company at this point, but I think the howling really kicks this, the werewolf cycle off quite well. And it also, and this plays into what I, what I was talking about, how this is contemporary to the time, because one of the things of the howling is it kind of was taking on all that late seventies, early eighties hooey. They mentioned like EST, TM, Scientology, Iridology, Primal Scream, blah, 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 blah. As the howling comes in, the whole movie and werewolf films in and of themselves are really about controlling the beast within that that primal rage of what it means to be an animal and the reason i say this plays into what was happening in society at the time is america specifically was going through a great change we had just elected ronald reagan the moral majority was coming in we're going to clean everything up i know it's still a few years down the line but you know it's morning in america you had this this new consumer culture coming in you had all of these like this new age philosophy coming in to America. You had the conservative movement and the religious movement all kind of saying, we're going to push down all of these bad things. So to me, I think part of this werewolf cycle is a pushback against the moral majority, against mourning in America, against the changes America was going through, which was all about, literally and figuratively, leashing the beast within. Become a better person. Become a yuppie. Don't fall to your primal urges. Or I'm sucking my own dick here. 
think you're reading into it a little too much, but I can kind of see where you're coming from with it. Um, I think it does have something to do with that for sure. Uh, Joe Dante in general, though, I, I fully agree that if you got anybody else to direct that, it would have been a completely different film because we did get a completely different version of, of that exact story of how four was the one that was just a reimagining of the, the book that Howling yeah. one was based on. Yeah. So it's like we saw how bland that one was. And then you compare it to Joe Dante, which is like, Oh God, just his style. The, he oozes that 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 cinematography style, the way everything looks, the, the color, using you know Venetian blinds to to cut through some gel lighting in to make the transformation scenes look even more like juicy. That is really one of the just one of the coolest looking werewolf movies. There's definitely some commentary as far as uh, America fearing change and the world fearing change at the time and the the morning in America, Reagan's America, and a lot of the bullshit that came with it. But a lot of it is also just just Joe. Dante's just amazing filmmaking. Clear and obvious why it's one of the classics as far as the werewolf subgenre goes. One of the things that is great about The Howling is it's so self-reflexive. Now obviously, it, it in a way it's a comedy. You know, it's probably more comical than a lot of werewolf movies but it also analyzes that whole, what do we know about werewolves? They're allergic to silver. Wait a minute, that's all from the movies. Full Moon? Movies. Wolfsbane? Movies. Pentagram Scar? Movies. That basically, it also attacked the idea that everything we think of when we think of a werewolf movie or werewolves in pop culture, we all got from movies. I actually think The Howling might be, it might, it, it's a really deep film. I It's weird to say that out loud, but it's a really deep film looking at society, looking at repression, because what what is the movie about? The movie is about a woman who has a traumatic, borderline sexual experience at the hands of a serial killer. So what does she do? She represses everything within her. Then she goes to this retreat that's supposed to help her, and it's all about werewolves trying to hide within society, which is literally about repressing the inherent savagery that we have, and it makes her a complete basket case. This is an actual deep movie. I don't think my dick is in my mouth too deep for this. No, you're absolutely right. It's an incredible story. You know, the, the novel is great. The movie is great. Um, I love Joe Dante's depiction of the story. It's absolutely true. It's it's pretty much a, uh, a story about kind of coming to terms with that sort of primal part of yourself and what it can affect in your life, what it can affect in other people's lives. I think it's it's definitely one of the deeper werewolf movies that that you can see. I mean, of course, not as not as deep as uh not as deep as the Twilight movies, of course. Like that really depicts uh how werewolves should be. You know, big CG dogs and shirtless indigenous men. That's obviously what we no, not to, no. <laughs> of course not. No, Howling is fantastic. One of the better depictions of a love. Uh, it, it takes it differently. It takes it in a new direction. Something we hadn't really seen before something we hadn't really seen after that either i think it's it's still one of the most unique uh looks just into that whole idea of what a werewolf can be the the hidden primal urges of humanity overall just fantastic stuff there's also the fact of part of what i think is kicking off this werewolf craze is the special effects technology oh yeah because because prior to this like especially go back to like night of the werewolf with paul nashi those movies the werewolf kind of looks like shit in all the Paul Nashy movies. <laughs> you know, look at the Wolfman. I love the Universal Wolfman. 
but it doesn't really look so great. This kind of looks finally... like, uh, just looks like Wolverine. Well, yeah, because it's just stuff chops, glued basically. to his face. Whereas now, right as the 80s are coming in, t- in here, we've got the special effects and makeup effects and prosthetics that we could make these things look really, okay, alien isn't the right word, but sticking with the howling, look at the werewolves in that. They look like aliens almost, just big that was furry the, uh, aliens. That was the same effects artist for howling and um, the thing, right? Rob Bottin. Rob yes. Bottin, yes. Oh my god, that guy's amazing. He was working on Howling back-to-back with American Werewolf in London and was just, like, using all these different ideas. And I know that one of his... um his like supervisor, not a supervisor, his like co, his like co-producer that he was working on stuff with was talking about him and just how he would be halfway into this like amazing sculpture or model and he would just be like, no, this sucks and would rip it down and just start immediately on another creation. And his partner would just be like, what the f- that looked so good. And then the next one would show up and it would look even better. So Rob Botin was just, God, we were so lucky to have that guy in the 80s. I mean, he he brought so much of Robocop to life, American Werewolf in London, Howling, The Thing. We were so lucky to have a guy that knew exactly what we needed for this genre of not only mental transition, but like physical transition and transformation, which we saw amazing transformation scenes, the howling, and even better, in my opinion, in American Werewolf in London, where it just looks f***ing painful to, to turn into a well, werewolf. In, like, in, all in of American your in features are getting over-accentuated, and you're stretching, and bones are breaking to create new ones, and it's so fantastic. Well, in American Werewolf in London, that, that was Rick Baker. And well, actually, Rick Baker, Rick ba- and I think it was Rob Bottin as, like, an assistant thing. I think he was... No, because there. those two films were dueling, because Rick oh, Baker was right, supposed right, to work actually. on The Howling, but then he quit... To do American Werewolf, so his assistant, Rob Bottin, got the howling. No, you're right. That's exactly right. That's why the effects are so similar, because they're two right. guys so, that are working together. But, okay, so then after the howling, I mean, we wouldn't get howling to, you know, your sister's a werewolf, stirable bitch, it's not over yet, whatever <laughs> sort of title you want, until 1985. More a, that's more of a vampire movie, if anything. Yeah, but we wouldn't get that till after the cycle I'm talking about. But then the next film in this cycle, and, I, and we talked about this a little bit a few weeks ago when we talked about Larry. Larry Cohen, Larry Cohen's Full Moon High, which is a straight-up comedy. It's one of the more mean-spirited, almost bitter werewolf comedies out there. The jokes are just mean, but at the same time, they're funny. So I don't think, while while the howling, I actually think, is trying to say something about Morning in America, the moral majority, Jerry Falwell. The, The thing with Joe Dante is you always get some sort of social commentary. I mean, even with a movie... Like Gremlins, you get a commentary on consumerism and how people that buy things are so blind to what they're buying. Even with something like Small Soldiers, where it's like, oh, they, these guys, they 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 attack and you, you put you put these chips in them and they're like soldiers. They're real. They talk to you and they're using like munitions chip. Joe Dante was always brilliant as far as uh, social commentary goes. So it's no surprise that a movie like The Howling that in it and uh, and to me, Howling had some of his most relevant social commentary at least for that time. Like it was. Very, very, uh, very much anti-establishment kind of movie. 
With that said, Larry Cohen usually doesn't. Larry Cohen's Full Moon High is just sort of a mean-spirited comedy, and he just chose werewolves. <laughs> it is kind of like a, a sort of hot dog, teen teen sex romp type comedy movie. Not something I've ever really been too into. I don't even think I've seen all of Full Moon High. I know I've seen Teen Wolf, and I know the, I know the two of them are kind of kind of similar. Not really. Teen Wolf is just trying to be a fun movie. Well, Full Moon High, it is trying to be a weird comedy, and it is a weird comedy. It not Zucker Abrams Zucker style, but it breaks the fourth wall more than once. Like when when one of the security guards shoots at the werewolf and misses and shoots the cameraman. <laughs> that kind of you know, it, it has this sort of Zucker Abrams Zucker style to it without the whole movie being that. I don't know if this is intended because it sort of comes through and full moon high but that the werewolf transformation is akin to puberty because you've got these obviously older actors playing teenagers and then like when he gets horny he starts to turn into the werewolf so i don't know if he was trying a duality with puberty and your body's changing and look at the hair that you're getting although it's a lot more hair this this time or if that's just incidental to larry cohen wanting to make a weird comedy it just sounds like dirty jokes all around like, oh, look, you turning into werewolf, werewolf, that means you have more pubes. Like, it's just kind of, it's just silly, silly jokes, sex humor kind of stuff. It's that, that, uh, atypical kind of, kind of teen sex comedy sort of stuff. Well, then next, now obviously there's American Werewolf in London, but I, I'm tr- kind of going relatively chronological here. Next would be actually Michael Wadalay's Wolfen. Oh, I like that one. Which is, I almost considered not putting it in this cycle because it's actually not like, a werewolf. They sort of just turn into wolves. They're Indian spirits yeah. who, who, who are the, like the spirits of the wind in wolf form. So, but it's a great the reason movie. I am including, like it's still, I the, think well, it still keeps in tone to that, uh, subgenre, especially like, you know, the whole like, there's murders going on and we don't know what they are. Is it a wild animal? Is it a serial killer? And then at the end, we have all of them turning into wolves and you got people getting like decapitated and stuff. I, I think it's a, it's a very effective movie, but it's one of the weirder ones for sure, especially seeing, uh, Edward James almost as cock running around, um, <laughs> around the beach or under the docks or whatever it was. Like well, he was on a bridge, and, I think. Hmm? I, th- I think he was on a bridge when he got naked. Yeah, I think it was on a bridge. I didn't or, need to see that. On a bridge or under one or something. It was, uh, it was weird. Uh, that one, if, um, if howling was symbolic of letting your inner beast, inner, inner animal out, Wolfen was the physical embodiment of that one, which is just strip naked and run around with your dick swinging. I'm of two minds when it comes to Wolfen. One, I'm pissed off because of the bait and switch, because this was literally sold as a werewolf movie. You watch that trailer, you look at the poster, the tagline. This was sold as a werewolf oh, yeah. movie. Absolutely. And, and then when and then when the last twenty minutes happen, you're like, what the fuck was that? Well, I mean, but they just... still they still morph into wolves. Like they don't look like the typical Rick Baker, Rob Bottin werewolves. They just turn into wolves. But it's still people that morph into another form. It's still like man becoming beast. So I think it's still it still counts to some to some extent. I actually think you were onto something when you said the howling is one thing and then Wolfen is another. But well, I yeah. think the wolf Wolfen is the exact opposite. Of the howling. Because Wolfen is about the Indian spirits who used to own our land getting mad at us for development and garbage and trash. The environmental version 
of this kind of thing. That kind of makes sense, yeah. So it's sort of the exact opposite of the howling and what it's trying to say, and also going to the, this is a pushback against what's happening in America at the time. This was one of the first movies to get really down and dirty with the CSI forensic style. You know, you, you've got forensic technology oh, yeah. in the coroners, and, and they're, and they're analyzing the chemicals on the bodies, and that we had never really seen in a monster movie before. Well, yeah, it really, I mean, it really did, got in your face with all that stuff, and especially all the environmental stuff as well, too. Like like I said, it's more of a physical embodiment. Like, there's not a lot of metaphorical stuff, which is what Howling had. Like, Wolfen just had literal depictions of it. Like, you have this dude letting his free-swinging beast nature just completely roll up and running around naked. You You have the... Men literally turning into wolves, not werewolves, but actual wolves. You have the forensic stuff, the CI, the, 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 the CSI stuff, which is very gruesome, very in your face. We didn't see a lot of that stuff at the time. So I think Wolfen pushed a lot of boundaries that I feel needed to be pushed to, to kind of take this subgenre further than it was actually going. Because in Wolfen, the Indian spirits want you to leave behind, you know, your technology because one of the themes of the movie is your technology is not going to solve this crime. Your technology, your CSI, your forensics are not going to help you. And at the end, what happens? One of our main characters is just literally standing there naked and alone. And that's sort of a powerful message for, for, I mean, the movie is sort of a mess on its own because the original Wadalay's director's cut was four hours and 18 minutes long (laughs) and the studio made him cut it down to under two hours. So, you know, you can, you can't really tell when you're watching the movie, but you can kind of tell some of this was supposed to be go way more in depth than it actually does. You know, a lot of ideas, a lot of ideas there that didn't get to be as fleshed out as they were which I think is pretty great. Wolfen is is definitely one of the more ambitious of the werewolf genre. I don't think a lot of people have seen it. I don't think a lot of people even really know about it. I think it's very worth watching just to see such a different perspective on this kind of thing. Even if it is kind of weird, even if it is kind of a mess, it just, it sort of works in that way. Like, it's very, like otherworldly there's a lot of like great supernatural elements to it the whole like i think it's great that the main werewolves are this like native tribe that turned into wolves that are pissed off at the industrialization of america like it's fantastic this is something that's so ahead of its time and nobody really talks about it and people think that nobody talked about this in the 80s but there were obviously a lot of conversations being had about the morally corrupt ways that the country was built and obviously there were a lot of people that were trying to make movies about it and I, th- I feel like Wolfen really tried to tell people that like you know what we do care about this we do recognize it we do acknowledge it here's a real fucking funky werewolf story uh, about these indigenous people that turn into wolves and it's it's messed up it's weird it's crazy and we want you to see it but at the same time I think what dooms the movie is people get pissed off because it's not the movie they were sold they were sold a werewolf movie movie and i think the warner brothers promotions department doomed this movie yeah, by saying happens. we can't market this for what it is we need to market it as an american werewolf in london knockoff oh, well that's just like movie studios in general being little pussy bitches i mean god so many movies do that 
Nicholas Reffin's Drive, for example, probably would have done a lot better if it wasn't marketed as a Fast and the Furious movie because everybody saw the trailers to that and went, I don't want to see a Fast and the Furious knockoff. I'm not going to go see this. Instead of marketing it as a crime heist, subtle little neo-noir movie, instead of marketing it that way, and people probably would have gone to go see it. It's like, okay, cool. We got Ryan Gosling in a bomber jacket robbing people and being a getaway driver and stuff, and it's sort of more subtle and it's got synth pop in it. Like, this could be interesting to see, but instead they were like, oh, it balls out. Cars and racing. It's like, that's not what it is. And and so many people didn't go see it because of that reason. So many people I've talked to and seen reviews for didn't go see the movie because it was marketed as something that had oversaturated the market so much, which I think was the fault of Wolfen's marketing, which they, they tried to make it seem like it was the next sort of howling movie or Wolfman movie. When if when in reality it was so much different from that, it was such a different type of werewolf subgenre movie. And I feel like if they had marketed it in more of an of an honest way, more people would have maybe gone to see it, and, and less people would have been pissed off about what they went to go see, expecting to see this like totally normal homogenized werewolf movie when really it's kind of weird like trippy flick and that's what that's what makes it work well but then we have american werewolf in london which i love the howling and i do like american werewolf a lot i still like the howling more i've never understood why american werewolf in london gets all the press and howling doesn't because werewolf in london is a great movie. It it balances the comedy and the horror pretty decently. I it's think well it's just directed, more commercial. But I think it's just more. It, of a it, it might be movie. more commercial, but it doesn't look as good as the Howling. The well, Howling no, it doesn't. It doesn't. is that more doesn't stylized. That doesn't necessarily matter. I think it's just because you had more of a commercial American director. You know, the guy that made Animal House and Blues Brothers and stuff was making the movie, and it was more. He wasn't I, a murderer yet. He is. He wasn't a murderer quite yet. He didn't sacrifice two children and a fantastic Z-grade character actor to a helicopter blade yet. But this was more of a kind of commercial film. You you had more of an uh, Americana kind of character. He's traveling. He goes to London, gets bit by a werewolf. You know, it's more kind of crisp. It's more clean. There There isn't too much to, to think about. It's got a lot of comedy in it. It has gore. There's like, not a lot of subtext not a whole to one, no. American Werewolf. Yeah, it's very I mean, the howling. The howling was very much like I said, common commentating on America and culture, yes. new wave theology. American Werewolf in London is just a werewolf it comedy. Is and then there are th- it's a werewolf horror comedy for sure. And it's a but very But there good are going one. to be people, Peter, there are going to be people who absolutely disagree with us. Oh, it's actually about this and it's about, you know, your repression. You know, no, American Werewolf in London is not that deep. Now, do not mistake it's me. It's more about I think um, it's a great movie. Werewolf in London if anything is more kind of about like suppressed guilt. Because that's kind of what yes. it's about. The guy, he's remembering his friend who got killed and he's getting, you know, these spirits that are telling him, if you want this to stop, you have to die. Like, that's basically just a very heavy-handed message about guilt. And obviously he dies at the end of the film after ripping a bunch of cops' heads off and stuff. It's really simple. The message that it has is not deep at all because you pick up on it within minutes of when he's bit, bit by the werewolf. As soon as his friend shows up to tell him, oh, I'm dead. I'm stuck in limbo. 
if you want this to stop, you have to die. It's like everything is spoon-fed to you. And that doesn't mean it's a bad it, film. It, it's all surface. It's very surface-level stuff. And it doesn't mean it's doesn't mean it's bad, but it's very simple. Like, it's it's incredibly commercialized. I think that's why American Werewolf in London is so much more popular than The Howling, because it is absolutely more of an MTV werewolf movie than The Howling is. Where The Howling takes a lot of metaphorical stuff. It has a lot of really subtle touches to the lighting, a lot of gel cap stuff, a lot of really moody looking stuff, a lot of below the surface kind of messages. Whereas American Werewolf in London is guy gets bit by a werewolf. His friend gets killed by one. And when he gets belt and he, tur- he gets bit and he turns into one, then he gets these uh, visions of his friend who's like, oh, look how fucked up I am. Oh, you have to die or I'll be stuck. I can't go to the afterlife. It's very, very obvious stuff. Very entertaining, but obvious as all shit. It's a great movie. It's a really good werewolf movie, but it is nowhere near on the metaphorical level that a movie like The Howling is. And that doesn't necessarily mean that The Howling is better than it for that reason, that The Howling is better for other reasons, such as Joe Dante's far superior directing style. But they're two very good movies. But American Werewolf is definitely more on a, on a base level as far as the, the sort of what it's tapping into, I guess. And you also have from that, there are going to be people who absolutely tell me this does not deserve to be on the list because it's technically not a werewolf. But I'm going to include Philip Mora's Australian 1982 The Beast Within because it's a werewolf movie in everything except the actual werewolf, isn't it? I mean, it's a monster that's coming out when he loses control. I mean... It's a werewolf, but I don't recall. I haven't seen the movie in about twenty years. I don't think they ever call it a werewolf. I, I so no, they don't. They call it technically a, a werewolf movie. It, it's technically it a, a werewolf a, movie, but it's not. What are those little bugs? Those light bugs, like cicadas or something? Cicadas. Okay, he, cicadas. In, it's meant to be. But, like I mean, the, okay. I think the would book, you, the book, The Beast Within, was originally meant to be werewolf, but they did something different with the movie, where it was more like the the transition of uh, of, a, of a cicada bug. But I definitely see your your comparison with it being like a werewolf thing. We'll skip over Beast Within. But like I said, I think it's a werewolf movie and everything except the fact that it doesn't technically have a werewolf in it. But it has one of the best, like, transformation scenes, though. Like, that, that movie is worth watching just for watching him turn into that beast at the end. Well, and I also think Philip Mora, because he, I think he wanted to make this. I mean, it's so obvious it's a werewolf movie without a werewolf. Yeah. So w- what would he do? He'd go on to direct Howling 2 and 3. <laughs> so you can tell he wanted to make a werewolf movie. He really did. But then we're going to go on to one a lot of people have probably never seen, and I've technically never seen it, com- you know, tech complete. I've never understood it. And that would be La Bestia Why La Espade Magica, a.k.a. The Beast and the Magic Sword, another Paul Nashie werewolf movie, but this time it's a Spanish-Japanese co-production about Paul Nashie's werewolf character in feudal Japan. Wait, what? Now, the reason I've never seen it proper, it, it's never been released in America, but I remember seeing a bootleg of it years and years and years ago in the VHS era. But because the movie was never meant for American audiences, it's never been dubbed or subbed. So I kind of had to infer the story based on what's going on, because I didn't understand what anyone was saying, because I don't speak Spanish or Japanese. A feudal Japan-era set Japanese-Spanish werewolf co-production in 1983. That's got to get some people's interest, right? (laughs) I think so, absolutely. Definitely weird. I mean, have you ever seen Beast and the Magic Sword? I'm, I may have. It sounds somewhat familiar, but I, I don't think I can really 
I don't think I have anything to say about it. Okay, Hard Rock Zombies isn't really a werewolf movie. Obviously, it's a zombie movie with zombie Hitlers and stuff. But randomly, there are werewolves in the movie, remember? It just comes out of nowhere. There's the scene of werewolves, and then the zombies kill the werewolves, and you go, okay, then. (laughs) Well, that one's just your typical sort of grindhouse-type movie, just weirdness, exploitation-type stuff. Doesn't Doesn't really count too much. The next one, and again, this is technically wolves. I mean, they are werewolves to a degree, but 1984 Spanish-Italian Alice Cooper starring Monster Dog. Oh, Remember this one? God, vaguely. It was it was shot in Spain and financed by a Spanish company, but directed by Claudio Fragasso. Oh my God! Oh, I need to revisit this one for sure. I love Claudio because. It, it, it was this weird thing. He, he, he'd been trying to make a werewolf movie for years and grown really frustrated, you know, cause he'd worked with Bruno Matai so many times, but he was almost always uncredited on his works with Matai. So he kind of wanted, I want to make a movie, you know, where Claudio gets the credit. And you know, it's a terrible Italian accent, but <laughs> so he, he found, he found a Spanish company with producer Carlos Arad and they made Monster Dog or, or, L- Levithan, as it's it's known over there. Leviathan? I used to always think it was. Le- it, it, I'm sure it okay. was meant to be Leviathan, but they spelled it wrong. Right, but I. But whenever I hear a Spanish person saying it, they say Levithan. Levithan. So they got Alice Cooper to star in this. How now the Alice hell Cooper did they had get Alice Cooper because I'm sure at this point Alice Cooper was like pretty big, wasn't he? Oh, he was huge, but he wanted to do this <laughs> because he he had he had just cleaned up. He had just gotten gotten straight from alcohol and drugs. Oh he had just gotten out of rehab. He said literally, quote, I want to do a cheap and sleazy film. Oh, that's awesome. Unquote. And so this came to him. He, they said he, he, I don't know how much he was paid, but he said he, based on the werewolf props and other things, he thinks at least half the budget went to him. Oh my God. It probably did. Flew him over to Spain where, where, where they shot the movie. A lot of the cast didn't speak English because you can tell when you watch this movie, everyone except Alice Cooper's dubbed. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, Alice course, Cooper's dubbed too because, you know, Fragasso didn't shoot with sound, but Alice Cooper dubbed himself. That tends to happen with most of Fergasso's movies. Like, Fergasso has this, like, his movies feel like they're shot in America and are American, but there's this, like, Euro kind of vibe to them. Troll Troll 2 particularly really has that vibe to it. Alice Cooper said that he and Fergasso got along fantastic because after the night shoots, he and Fergasso would go back to Alice Cooper's room. And you got to remember, 1984, this is still relatively expensive. They had a VCR in there, and he and Fergasso would get together and watch old Western movies again. And, <laughs> quote, every night we'd watch them together as if we were little boys, unquote. <laughs> That's weird. Alice Cooper and Claudio Fergasso binge-watching Westerns, like... On, on early 80s VHS. My God, like, you, you can't... In Spain. You can't write that. You can't write material that good. Here's Here's the thing about Monster Dog. It's really not very good. No, of course not. It's all, you know, it it's really not very good. Well, it's, it's, uh, you never know what you're gonna get with Fragasso, and, and by that I mean, you're usually gonna get sh- I mean, he is, he can be hit, he can be missed. Fragasso is a very interesting 
Italian director usually does work with the likes of Bruno and with the likes of Fulci. We we saw what happened with Zombie 3. We saw what happened with the ending of, of Rats and Women's Prison Massacre. Uh, Fergasso has a very strange mind. Uh, and then you give him his whole movie. You get something like Troll 2, which is like really ridiculous and bombastic throughout most of it. And there's kind of like Americana going on vacation in an RV and everything's very oversaturated and high pastels and colorful. And then you know, the movie ends with a little kid seeing trolls eat his family. I mean, Fergasso is a, is a weird f***ing guy. So I imagine that his movie with Alice Cooper is... It's going to be a little more than unconventional and probably a little bit shitty with probably a weird ending to it. I mean, I've never seen it, but I can almost, I almost feel like I have just because I have seen so many Fergasso contributed projects and Fergasso directed projects. And he is just, he's a weird fucking guy. But then also by this point, we've lost all subtext. You know, the Howling, Full Moon High, American World in London, Wolfen, they were all speaking to, you know, Morning in America and the conservative movement. Now we're just making werewolf Yeah, movies. now it's just, uh, I want to there, make There's a movie. no subtext. I want to make a movie. Alice Cooper is in my movie. It's a werewolf movie. It's a good movie. It's like, okay, for God, so sure. Do another bump of coke, will you? What's weird about this is because Alice Cooper in this plays an aging horror rock star. So, <laughs> so, he more or less his name's even vincent remember alice cooper's real name is vincent oh my god but the weird thing is alice cooper wrote and they have music videos for you know the the character within the movie two exclusive songs for this that until the life and crimes of alice cooper box set came out in the early 2000s were never released commercially so it has two exclusive alice cooper songs on the soundtrack too wow so sticking in 1984 here as we're, you know, coming to the end of this cycle, we've got a couple of more here. We've got, now, this isn't a werewolf movie, but the werewolf plays a key plot twist in it. Have you ever seen the direct-to-video anthology film Tales of the Third Dimension, obviously shot in 3D? I think so. Where one of the segments has got vampire, they adopt this kid, and they're going to eat him. The kid turns out to be a werewolf and kills the vampire. Oh, okay. Yeah, I kind of so, remember that. I think um, I think I've seen a few segments from it, but that sounds pretty somewhat vaguely familiar. It's hosted by a skeleton that keeps pointing his finger at the camera because 3D. Oh, oh my god! Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've seen that one. I saw that one. I think I saw like uh, you know, sometimes on YouTube people upload like the full thing. You know, I'll be up at like three in the morning browsing what full movies are on there, and I think I saw that one that way. Well, and then we'll end out this cycle with a movie I don't like. I've never, this movie got a lot, I mean, it, it got critically reviled, and it also then got reassessed years later as like an unsung classic. I've never liked The Company of Wolves, 1984, which is basically a super graphic retelling of Little Red Riding Hood, uh. but in the style of an American werewolf in London, basically. I never was able to get into this movie. I remember seeing the box art, reading the reviews in Fangoria and Cinema Fantastique. I always remember seeing the video box. I finally caught it on cable one night in the late to 80s or early 90s when I was in high school. I just, I've never been into this movie. I know a lot of people love it. I'm going to get comments about how people love Company of Wolves. I'm not one of them. I've never seen it. I'm sure you've seen the famous scene where I think it's Little Red Riding Hood. I haven't seen the movie in 20 years. The wolf starts coming out of her mouth and it's like shedding her skin. I'm sure you've seen that clip before. I saw that on a a t-shirt on Rotten Cotton, but I've never actually seen the scene. I know that, that, uh, that visual. 
but I've never actually seen the movie. Again, we're completely going with no subtext anymore because that's all gone. Because this is a gory mid-80s retelling, basically, of Little Red Riding Hood. I mean, there's more to it than that, but that's really what it comes down to. This cycle, as far as I'm concerned, is over because, yes, we would have Teen Wolf and things like that. You'd have the Monster Squad, which has, you know, a prominent werewolf. That was a great, that was a great. Fright Night 2 has a prominent werewolf. But all of those are after this. And after, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula had a really great werewolf too. Well, he's not really a werewolf, but kind of is. He's a wolf. It's it's a different form, but wolf man thing. Point is, this cycle basically ended with Company of Wolves because after this, you get a werewolf movie, maybe two in a year. Instead of this giant cluster, in four years, we got nearly a dozen. So I I do think this has to do with that 80s thing. It was about change. It was about repression. It was about control. It was about we're getting rid of the savagery of our, you know, our primal being. And I think that really plays into this werewolf cycle. I mean, yes, there is more to it than that. There's, like I said, chasing a trend. I do believe that the early 80s werewolf cycle is something that can't really be replicated. Remember, film and society feed off of one another. Mm. You know, film is reflective of society, and then society can become reflective of film. I think you needed that early 80s, because remember, we were coming from a very liberal time in America, the 70s, and you know, you had Jimmy Carter, who was seen as a failed president, for reasons I won't go into, but I don't, I believe that was sabotage, but, and then you come into the conservatives. Porn is bad, sex is bad, drugs are bad, which is the exact opposite of the message of the 70s, Mm -hmm. where drugs were good, sex was good, porn was good. So I, I do think this was a pushback against what society was doing at the time, and you just can't replicate that. And when you got this sort of cycle again in the late night, well, the mid to late nineties with all the ginger snaps and all this, you had another werewolf spat. It didn't have the same weight that it did in the early eighties because you weren't fighting the same societal ills, if you will, the same societal change. Yeah, I can agree with that. I, I can see how. There's a social relevancy to that for sure, especially considering the type of werewolf movies that were coming out and the type of werewolf movies that started to come out. I mean, Monster Squad was played more for laughs. Teen Wolf was played more for laughs. And a lot of the other ones before that were trying to have some sort of social message to them. But then you also have, now this happened more in the late 90s version Now, obviously, werewolf has always been a metaphor. I mean, horror has always been a metaphor. Go back to look at the original Universal Dracula with Bela Lugosi. That whole thing is using vampirism as a metaphor for sexuality. Oh, yeah, for sure. Whereas in the late 90s, the werewolf, how many times did we see it used for, you know, as a metaphor for sexuality, you know, animal magnetism, that kind of thing? Yeah. And and especially, and not just with the Ginger Snaps movies, although they're pretty surface on this. Oh, yeah. It's a metaphor for menstruation and girls' body changing. And you saw that more than once 
that werewolfism is a metaphor. Look at Trick or Treat, the Michael Doherty Trick or Treat. The werewolf segment in that is literally about becoming a woman. We we think through most of that segment that, you know, she's talking about her first time, she wants it to be special. We think her sisters, and they're trying to find her uh, the right guy to do her first time with, that it's all about losing her virginity. And it's really about her first werewolf transformation. <laughs> literally, it's a metaphor for virginity in that movie. Well, it's very, very on the nose, for sure. Now, while you can always use horror or in horror icons as metaphors, I think it loses its punch when it's so on the nose, it, it when does. it's so pointed. It's sort of what happened with slasher movies, where at first, it wasn't this whole, like, virginal survivor girl. I mean, if you look at movies like, uh, even like Halloween, even like Texas, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, even like Friday the 13th, I mean, Alice in the first Friday the 13th film is, like, She's banging the the head counselor. She's an artist. She has sort of an independent nature to her. Uh, she doesn't survive because she's a virgin. She, she survives because she's the most level-headed of the group. And then you have movies like Scream come out that is literally like, Virgin! Virgin survives! Because that's apparently what the 80s said. Look at me. I'm watching Halloween. That's why Jamie Lee Curtis survives. Which is horseshit. Because fucking Jamie Lee Curtis wants to fuck a guy the whole movie. She's into, what's, what's his fucking name? Some like jock dude. Some guy that she wants to have a cock stuffed in her. It has nothing to do with how virginal you are or how non-virginal you are or how fucking black you are. Like it, these stupid tropes that started coming up around the late 80s and the early 90s of if you're black in a horror movie, you die first. If you're a slut in a horror movie, you die first. Which you fucking don't. Watch a lot of slasher films from the early 80s and you will fucking see that plenty of the survivor girls or survivor guys were either black, had a ton of fucking sex, or were a guy that had a ton of fucking sex. Or were even, in the case of Nightmare on Elm Street 2, a fucking gay guy discovering his sexuality. So, horror Yeah, yeah you want to talk metaphor, Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy's Revenge, that movie's all metaphor. That is all about finding yourself. That whole movie is about, like, coming to terms with your sexuality. It's, in a lot of ways, it's fucking brilliant. Like, I hate that people are like, oh, the gay nightmare. It's like, the only, okay, fuck yourself. The, the only reason I don't like that movie is it breaks the rules. When Freddy jumps out at the party oh, and just starts slashing any rules people. Yet. There weren't any rules for Freddy yet. What the f*** are you talking about? It broke the rules of the first movie where Freddy can only come when you're dreaming and affect the person who's dreaming. But the second It already broke the rules. That's, I don't, I don't, I don't. It has I a different think idea though. What I will say in terms of debate as far as Nightmare 2 and Nightmare 1 and, and there being established rules, the first one had no real rules because apparently the rule and the first one was if you turn your back on Freddy and ignore him and don't see his power, he loses his power. Yet at the end, he gets all that back and kills the mom and the, the nightmares are still happening. So in my opinion, the second one, whatever f*** you want to do with him, they did it. And it's more of a body hopping, taking advantage of, of somebody who's having struggles and, and taking their, their body over control. So I feel like whatever rules they decided to do in Nightmare 2, they could have done because there was one movie before that and even in that movie, it breaks its own rules because, you know, you, you have the girl at the end being like, you're shit. I'll turn my back on you. And then, you know, her, her mother gets, gets pulled through the little door window at the end anyway. And the little Freddy Krueger sun top comes over the car of the teenagers regardless. So I feel like 
Freddy doesn't have any rules. I feel like Freddy, Freddy is an asshole. When it comes to metaphor with werewolves, why do you think it doesn't work as much anymore? Because you still see werewolf movies coming out. They don't work as well as the early 80s slate of werewolf movies or the the mid-90s slate. Now, one thing I can't stand, now this is just a personal thing, is when they make a werewolf movie nowadays and the werewolf is CGI. Oh, it God. never looks good. Ever. No, it doesn't. It never. I've never seen a CGI werewolf that looks good. American Werewolf in Paris was a garbage movie. Oh, man. But, wow, those things look like they're straight out of a Resident Evil PS2 game. What was the, um, they made the, the remake of The Wolfman sometime in 2005 or 6, maybe before that. The Benicio Del Toro the one. Benicio yeah. Del Toro one. That one, he was kind of in a suit in that one, wasn't he? I it was like half, it was like that half one. and half. It was half and half. Yeah, the, the, there was, there was some really dodgy CGI, but in that one, they also used metaphor. In that Wolfman, it was about metaphor. For some reason, even more so than a vampire. And a vampire does kind of lend itself to metaphor. I think the werewolf does even more because you literally have it built into it, the repressed savagery, the repressed person. This is who I am inside, and now that person's coming out. Because how many times, how many times, Peter, have you been f***ing pissed off and you are just going off on somebody all you'd have to do is grow long fingernails and have your and have a bunch of hair sprout and you're a werewolf guy aren't you yeah yeah i did i did that at work just uh just a few months back i'm actually surprised i didn't f-ing jump on the guy and start beating him to death that happens i think werewolves are absolutely this embodiment of your sort of primal rage animalistic side of you that change the change that's coming it, it can work for puberty it can work for your menstrual cycle you know the, the full <laughs> at every full moon you become this like animal which is very similar you know to women having their periods you know at a certain point in the month they have their menstrual cycle um and when you're aging when you're in your teens or 20s or 30s you know you're always why is there hair down there why is there hair down there no that's very different you're you're morphing into something different or when you're getting older you start losing hair you know it's like werewolves are very much a a metaphor on the change of you as a person but in such a, a an over the top horror kind of way. And I feel like that's getting lost in the translation of a lot of, a lot of new ones that are coming out. Obviously the, the, the twilight movies did not help as far as uh, making them look good. I felt like the, the Inizio Beltoro one was decent. I, I actually didn't mind that movie at all. It had, it had some good um, practicals and CG laced over each other. What werewolf movie can you really list by name today that's like, that you can think of that like makes you jump out of your seat the same way Howling uh, American Werewolf in London does, the same way Wolfen does, uh, even the same way some of the Howling sequels do. Like the the third one, the is it, uh, Howling 3 is the mars- marsupials, the Australian one. Yes, and, and, great. and that one, okay. That one is super about, like, puberty and menstrual cycles and stuff. That one really bludgeons you with that shit. Howling 3 is really about marginalized peoples and, yeah. you know, it, it's about racism. And, I mean, that one really, okay, this is the strange thing. So Philip Mora made Beast Within, which is basically a, just a werewolf movie without a werewolf. And then he made Howling 2, which is a vampire movie about <laughs> werewolves. And then he made Howling 3, which is actually pretty freaking deep. And it's trying to say something. <laughs> It's fantastic. Howling 3 is one of the better sequels. It's probably my favorite one next to the next to the very
very first one. And it's kind of just a remake of the first one. It ends the same way the first one does. When it comes to this early 80s werewolf cycle, I think it's overlooked. They are both a product of their time. They are a reflection of their time. Because as I've said Mm -hmm. a couple of times, you couldn't really do those movies except in 1980, 81, 82, 83, or 84. Needed to be done in that little window that we had there. Because really, I think it started in 81. But like I said, if we include the Paul Nashy stuff, the Monster Club, that technically brings it to 1980, but those weren't really part of the same reflective cycle. The same reflective cycle really started with The Howling. Do you think that is an era people should check out all the movies that we talked about tonight, or just let it go? Absolutely check it out if you haven't seen them, especially Howling Wolfen and American Werewolf in London. Those are three of the best ones. And Monster Dog. And yes, yes, of course, Monster Dog, of course, for Alice, Alice Cooper. Oh God, Alice Cooper and a Claudio Fragasso film, very worth watching. I, I, I already know what Peter's going to be watching tonight. Oh, very, very obvious. It's strange to me because I feel like you could probably make a really solid werewolf contemporary political time film if you really buckled down and did it because nowadays it's people are really on about their identity politics and their political politics and all this stuff and you know who's uh who's trans and who's ace and who's gay and who's straight and a lot of this stuff like people more now than ever are really talking about this stuff and having conversations about this stuff so i am actually full-blown surprised that we don't have a werewolf movie based on the times of today because like just go on twitter and scroll through it a little bit and you'll see any most given people you're following or people they're retweeting or whatever will be talking about their personal um gender politics identity politics whether they're trans or or ace or polyamorous or whatever and it's like werewolves kind of fit the narrative of this you know kind of being something that stands out from society being something different transitioning into something different you know trans people transitioning into a different person you know that's very obviously it's kind of a mean-spirited way to put it but it's very werewolf-like because you're becoming something different than what you were before. So I'm surprised that filmmakers, especially indie filmmakers, or even like blockbuster filmmakers, aren't taking advantage of what's going on right now contemporarily to make some better werewolf movies than, than what we've been getting. I think that's that's about it. Just just check out some of the stuff in the 80s and in the 70s, and hopefully we'll we'll get some better ones because right now, topically at least, could be getting some really good stuff if some of these writers and directors would get off their asses and, and see what's going on nowadays. American Werewolf in London or The Howling? Fight people. <laughs> so <laughs> on that note, where can people find Peter repressing his true self and his true sexuality up in Canada? Oh, my God. I don't even know what my true self and my true sexuality is at this point. There's so many different sides and levels of it that come out, and I, I'm saying way too much already. I'm I'm a violent beast, an animalistic, horribly violent, politically incorrect man, but I also love cuddles, and I also love little puppies and kittens, and I, I love uh, cuddling my girlfriend and sitting down and, and watching watching Gordon Ramsay. Which, which again feeds into my animalistic nature because Gordon Ramsay is such a, such a domineering, powerful man. But then I'll, then I'll feel like watching Disney's Aladdin and it's so confusing. But if you want to see pure confusion, go to Twitter at Cinematica, Facebook, the Cinematicus, YouTube, the Cinematicus, 1201beyond.com, of course, for my stuff, for Radiodrome, for other fine programming, for merchandise and 
what the fuck is my Patreon? At Zenematica at Patreon. Uh, please, please give me money. I, I can't. I can't work in a warehouse five days a week anymore. I can't. I hate these people. I hate these people. They're so, they're so dude bro-y. Please allow me to work three to four days a week there so I can work on more videos to give to you people because I know that's what you want to see, but I'm broke. I'm broke as fuck. I need to eat. I need to feed myself. And on well, that note, I'm, uh, finished. That's it. That's it. That was the longest outro ever done ever, but kind of fantastic at the same time. Almost, almost Jeff Goldblumish. And you can find me just being a, a normal, super picky, super nerdy critic who yeah, doesn't normal. seem to yeah, like right. anything. Yeah, fucking right. You're normal. At 1201beyond at gmail.com. The website 1201beyond.com. Release your inner beast in the comments. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night. Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.